Well, good morning. Great to be with you this morning. This morning, we want to begin a brand new chapter in our book series through the book of the Revelation. So please find in your Bibles the 18th chapter in the book of the Revelation. This morning, I want to explain why I believe the unbelieving world is much closer to Revelation 17 and 18 than the church might realize. And notice I said, then the church might realize. The church was given the book of the Revelation to warn the world. Revelation 10 and 11, and they said to me, you must prophesy again concerning many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. Much of this book, almost all of this book, concerns many peoples and nations and tongues and kings, and the church ought to be concerned about them. The Revelation 17 introduced us to a one-world apostate false religion. How close are we to a one-world apostate false religion? I think we know the world is filled with many false religions, but, but how about all of them becoming one? I wonder how many of us are familiar with the World Council of Churches. The WCC was constituted on August 23rd, 1948 at Amsterdam by an assembly representing 147 churches from 44 countries mostly Protestant liberals. Now, when we say Protestant liberals, we're not talking about politics, but precepts. And we are not talking about ideology, but theology. 25 years later in 1973, member churches numbered 263 from 90 countries with a membership of over 400 million. Today, 345 member churches, and approximately 500 million. <clears throat> Most of these churches do not believe the Bible is true, or that Jesus was born of a virgin, or that he rose from the dead on the third day, let alone they all believe in one way or another that salvation must be earned by religious activity. The fastest growing church in the world is, are you ready? The World Council of Churches. Listen carefully to their motto coined in their beginning in 1948. One world, one church. One world, one church. That was said in 1948. Do you know what else happened in 1948? Israel was declared a nation. Does that matter? Yes. Revelation 17 and 6, and I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the witnesses of Jesus, and I saw the woman. And we now know who the woman is. The woman is the harlot. And, and we also know the word harlot in both testaments is a metaphor or symbol for false religion. 
And did you hear she is drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the witnesses of Jesus? Who did Jesus tell would be hated and killed during the tribulation? Matthew 24, Jewish believers. 1,948 years elapsed from the time Revelation 17 was written to the beginnings of a one-world, one-church, false religion. Do you think it is possible the unbelieving world is much closer to Revelation 17 than the church might realize? I think there's even a more important question. Is the church even thinking about these truths? Are, are they reading their Bibles and paying attention to what concerns nations and tongues and different peoples? When was the last time a church went through the book of the Revelation? This morning, I want to explain why I believe the world is much closer to experiencing Revelation 18 than the church might realize. <clears throat> I don't know how many of you are familiar with the words commercialism and globalism. Commercialism and globalism. Commercialism places a great emphasis on maximizing profits by appealing to, luring, enticing buyers with the likes and wants of the consumer. Globalism is the attitude or policy of placing the interests of the entire world above those of individual nations. Right about now, someone must be thinking, what does commercialism and globalism have to do with chapter 18? Well, look at verse 3. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the passion of her immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed acts of immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich by the wealth of her sensuality. <clears throat> Let us break these words apart and then bring them back together. First, the words, all the nations. All the nations is another way of saying the whole world. Globalism is about the whole world. All the nations. Do you, do you see the word merchants? Merchants is the Greek emporos. Emporia means commerce, business, and trade. The word for merchants means those who travel. It is not those who produce goods or manufacture goods, but those who are brokers, traders, importers, exporters, who engage in business all over the world for a big profit. Notice the word wealth. Wealth is the Greek dunamis, meaning money, power, strength. Money is king. Money, money translates into power, strength, and ability. Notice the word sensuality. The Greek strenos, meaning living in unrestrained luxury. If we put all the nations merchants, wealth, and sensuality together, do you know what we have? We have a global commercialism. Remember, this, this book is filled with symbolism. 
the harlot is not an actual prostitute. We don't have an actual prostitute committing sexual acts with all the nations. What we do have, however, is the Antichrist, one, one world false religious system, seducing, luring the whole world into one big, huge materialistic orgy. Religious and commercial Babylon, with its worship of money and power, will promote and push unrestrained luxury, sensuality, and pleasure designed to develop an all-consuming power over the whole world, a global commercialism. So what have we learned thus far about Revelation 17 and 18? Well, this one world false apostate religion described as a harlot seduces and entices the world with a one world economic system that promotes and promises luxury wealth. And, and you could easily see this happening, couldn't you? Why will the world be so easily seduced? What have we been learning from chapter 6 through chapter 18? The seven seal judgments, the seven trumpet judgments, and now the seven bowl judgments have devastated the entire earth. The world is struggling, and they will be so easily tempted by anyone that can promote ease and luxury and blessing and provision. Babylon's church and commerce will promote the philosophy that happiness and fulfillment are attained by the abundance of the things people possess in travel and luxury and jewelry and comfort and pleasure. Look at verse 9. And the kings of the earth who committed acts of immorality and lived sensuously with her will weep and lament over her when they see the smoke of her burning. Why are they weeping? Verse 11, and the merchants of the earth weep and mourn over her. Here, listen, because no one buys their cargoes anymore. No one buys. Do you know what kills commercialism? No one buys. Do you know who's going to weep about that? All the merchants of the earth, globalism. No one buys what? Well, we'll look at verses 12 through 14. Cargoes of gold and silver and precious stones and pearls and fine linen and purple and silk and scarlet and every kind of citron wood and every article of ivory and every article made from very costly wood and bronze and iron and marble and cinnamon and spice and incense and perfume and frankincense and wine and olive oil and fine flour and wheat and cattle and sheep and cargoes of horses and chariots and slaves and human lives. The fruit you long for has gone from you and all the things that were luxurious and splendid have passed away from you and men will no longer find them. <clears throat> all their luxuries are gone. Nothing wrong with buying and selling. Nothing wrong with commercialism and globalism in and of themselves. However, where it all goes wrong is when God is removed and he is replaced with greed. No, notice the greed, verse 15. The merchants of these things who become rich from her. 
In one of Michael Douglas's famous movies, Wall Street, is that famous line, greed is good. Greed is not good. And look, if we're going to be honest, America is not one nation under God, but one nation under greed. Global greed is not good. And here's why. It is a reflection on universal covetousness. Ever since Adam sinned, man has had to work. Genesis 3 and 17, then to Adam he said, Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Work is a curse. In toil you will eat all the days of your life. That's all about working. Now why do we work? To make money. Why do we need money? To buy they're not able to buy anymore. And what we have here is a changing of the guard. How many recall in Revelation 11 and 15, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. But the kingdom of this world currently is cursed. Man has to work so that he can eat, so that he can work, so that he can eat, so that he can work. And when the kingdom of this world becomes the kingdom of our Lord, Isaiah says in the 55th chapter, verse 1, Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. If I place Revelation 17, a one-world false apostate religion alongside Revelation 18, a one-world commercialism that is global, you know what I see? I see a prosperity gospel. I, I've noticed something about people who preach a prosperity gospel. See if you notice what I notice. Joyce Meyer is worth $8 million. She has a $10 million jet and several million dollar homes, as well as a $107,000 silver Mercedes. T.D. Jakes, <coughs> excuse me, net worth about $20 million. Creflo Dollar, about $27 million. Two Rolls Royce cars, a private jet, million dollar homes in Atlanta and Manhattan. Back in 2015, he planned on buying a $65 million jet. Benny Hinn, worth about $60 million. Joel Olstein, about $100 million. He and his wife, co-pastor Victoria Osteen, live with their two kids in a $10.5 million mansion in the Houston suburbs. Kenneth Copeland, net worth $300 million. Religious commercialism that goes global. Every one of these ministries has a global commercialism as their gospel. You know, religion was never, ever considered big business until, until the 1900s. Which, by the way, is the same century that Globalism entered our thinking. Do you see why I say the unbelieving world is much closer to these two chapters than perhaps the church might realize? This lesson 
begins with us. Notice verse 4. I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, so that you will not participate in her sins and receive of her plagues. God is warning his people. Now, I, I must admit that in its primary interpretation and application, this appeal will be addressed to those believers who will be living in the tribulation days. But this is not applicable to the church in its primary context. And we can only imagine the temptation tribulation saints will have. They will be poor, suffering, hungry. And they will look at this one world false apostate religion. And everyone seems to be living in a lap of luxury. But why do I believe Revelation 18 was written to the seven churches 2,000 years ago? Now, even though the church will not physically be present to experience verse 4, we do have a few passages of our own to ponder. 1 Timothy 6 and 10, For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Notice, the love of money and longing for it is not applied to the unbeliever, but the believer, because they might wander away from the faith. Come out of her, my people. Come out of her, my people, is an aorist imperative. It means do it now, do not delay. And I ought to add, this is not only a physical separation, but a mental separation, because if you don't separate yourself mentally from materialism, you'll never separate yourself from it physically. As the mind thinks, the body goes. Come out of her is so reminiscent of Lot leaving Sodom in Genesis 10 and 15, where he was told, don't look back. We got to be careful where we place our eyes and our minds. Why? Verse 4, so that you may not participate in her sins. To participate means to fellowship with, partner with, be connected with. Because we don't want to receive her plagues. The warning of her plagues is followed by three spiritual laws or principles that follow verse 4. And I want you to know believers are not exempt from the law of consequence. And while we may have mercy and grace to save us despite our actions, we are not exempt from the law of consequence. Law number one, the law of remembrance. Look at verse 5. For her sins have piled up as high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. And we don't want to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. Clearly, this is a reference to the Tower of Babylon, like the early Tower of Babel, where they sought to build a tower to the heavens. Babylon's godless globalism has reached up into heaven in man's attempt to be like God. Why will religious and commercial Babylon be worshipped? Because man worships money. Matthew 6 and 24, no one can serve two masters for either 
he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in wealth. The law of remembrance is the principle God does not forget sin, verse 5. God has remembered her iniquities. He permits the buildup of sin from Genesis 11 to Revelation 18, Babylon. And it's many names. Modern Iraq has been piling and piling sins as high as the earth is to heaven. But eventually judgment must come, and it comes right here. How so? Law number two, the law of retribution. Verse six, pay her back even as she has paid and give back to her double according to her deeds and the cup which she has mixed, mixed twice as much for her. Because of how high her sin reaches to the heavens, coupled with God's even higher holiness, judgment is doubled. Which brings us to law number three, the law of retaliation, verses 7 and 8. To the degree that she glorified herself and lived sensuously, to the same degree, give her torment and mourning. For she says in her heart, I sit as a queen and I am not a widow. And will never see mourning. For this reason, in one day her plagues will come, pestilence and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire. For the Lord God who judges her is strong. She has assumed the position of queen. A queen is one who is very powerful. For this reason, what reason? The king. Jesus, the king, will judge the world's queen in one day. Every week we conclude our thoughts with a gospel reminder. The gospel is a call to repent. Maybe someone today loves money more than God. You think about it. You work for it. You meditate on what you can buy with it. Is it possible that money, fame, fortune are your God? The Bible would say repent. The word repent means to change your mind about what you believe and how you behave. The question Jesus would ask you is, who do you say that I am? If he is not the Lord, and if he is not the Christ, if he is not the Son of God, if he is not the eternal Son of God born in a virgin's womb, who led a sinless life, died on a tree for your sins, and rose from the third day from the grave, if that's not the Jesus you believe, repent, change your mind. But repentance is also a call to change your mind about how you live. The Bible has a law. There are things that are permissible and impermissible. Sin. We must turn from our sin. And look, this will be a lifelong journey. 
grace. We are saved by grace, not by works. The best person you can be, the best person you know, cannot be saved by their best. James says, if you keep the whole law, 613 laws, if you keep the law and stumble in one point, you're guilty of all. This is why Jesus said, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Heaven requires perfection. All right, about now, you need to be thinking, well, then that creates a problem for me because I'm imperfect. That's okay. That's a good problem to have. It's a good problem to recognize. It's a good problem to believe because you're now going to transfer your faith to someone who is perfect and God receives him and accepts him as your savior from your imperfection. His name is Jesus. He could save you from your sins. He's the only one who can save you from your sins. The just for the unjust. He was perfect. He knew no sin, committed no sin. I sure hope this message of the gospel has resonated in your mind and your heart and you're ready to repent and believe the gospel and follow Jesus. May God bless you and may God bless his word.